Can we outlast our impulses? Dr. Hunter will discuss just that as he concludes his series on personal temptation with this last message. During this series, Dr. Hunter has challenged us to face head-on the very things that rob us of our peace and joy, things that find their way into most of our lives, sometimes leaving us with habits that are tough to break. How do we outlast our impulses? From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's scripture text will be a familiar story, taken from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men had more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will beg up and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf. Kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead, and has come to life again. He was lost, and has been found. And they began to be merry. Now let's join Dr. Joel Hunter for his final message in a series on personal temptation, Outlasting Our Impulses. I'm going to close a section of our... Uh, preaching with this last message in this particular series uh, of this year's preaching. Now, let me give you the context again. We are on a 10-year journey towards spiritual maturity. And in that journey, we have determined that spiritual maturity comes not from mounting up biblical precept after biblical precept or biblical principle after biblical principle. We can do that until the Lord comes again and never run out of new biblical principles. What we have determined is, no, it will be more constructive to concentrate on ten themes that are woven throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation and to stay on those themes long enough that we can actually weave them into our character so that our brain is not so much what grows, although that will, but our character is what reflects the character of Jesus Christ. This year we are talking about how God brings about maturity through adversity. Why God has set limits on our lives so that we will grow. We have already talked about how God has set limits in our family life, about the war in in our family life. Why God has allowed certain things to happen at our work. And in this series, we've been talking about how God brings us to maturity through personal temptation. Now, last week, we talked uh, about... Uh, and last week was a little bit more cognitive. We, we dwelt a little bit more on the intellectual last week. This week's sermon is almost totally volitional. That is, it's a matter of your will. 
It's a matter of, of uh, practical application. So we're going to put it out there, and what I'm going to ask you to do is some ruthless introspection this week. You won't have to think real hard, but you'll have to be real honest with yourself. Last week we talked about how Herod, because of entertainment, because he stopped thinking, threw away what was a very valuable resource in his life. I want to piggyback on that sermon and say there was another dynamic operating there, a dynamic called impulse. He acted on impulse. And I would like to ask you today to go through in the next several minutes with me how much of your life is thrown away on your impulses. I took a uh, Evelyn Woods speed reading course a couple of days ago. I've always wanted to do this ever since I was small and I, you know, these have been around for years. And so I finally got around to it. And one of the things that they said was that the reason that we don't get much out of our reading is because we approach a book very passively. We skip over the preface and the introduction and we just kind of read the content and our mind tends to wonder. They said, what you need to do is you need to go to a book and you need to, <clears throat> first of all, fold it back and make all the pages be ready to turn and then you need to do an overview, give a general context, read the flap, read all the stuff you don't read. Read the preface, read the introduction, get the general context, then do a preview of what you want to get out of it. Then go to the conclusion, see where they end up, and then, and only then, as you read through the content, you can pull out what you intend to get. I'd say life ought to be like that. You ought to understand what you want to get out of life, and when you go through it, you'll be able to pull it out, instead of just kind of, oh, well, there's something. And let that pass through. So we're going to talk about how to resist the desire to kind of go through life and wander into whatever the next page brings. Now, as an example of one who <clears throat> acted on impulse, we're going to take the prodigal sons because it's such a familiar story. And let me tell you at the beginning of this that there are three levels of impulse. And we're not sure from reading the story of the prodigal son which level he was on. The Bible doesn't indicate it. And he could have been on any one of these three levels. But let me just mention them to you so that you will know as we go along what to pull out and what level you really want to listen to. There is the first level <clears throat> that is actually the, the a thought that comes that just is there, I mean, it's not come before, it's not familiar to you. There is the second level of familiar impulses. These are more seasonal impulses. They come at certain times, but they're very familiar. And there is the third level that almost reaches the level of addiction because there are impulses that are so powerful in your life, you find yourself manipulating the environment so that you can relapse into them. Now, let's read about the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15. A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give to me the share of the estate that falls to me. Now, I want, at the very beginning of this, I want to tell you, I am not telling you this morning to not be spontaneous in your life. There's a difference between spontaneity and impulse. 
impulse is always trying to answer some sort of a selfish hunger or some sense of hunger, even though you don't know what that hunger is. Spontaneity is one that includes others. I hope that a good part of your life, you find people who have a need and you can just, bing, answer it without ever, you know, thinking this through, should I answer this? Or or or, or uh, trying to get it tax deductible somehow, you know, whatever. Some of the sweetest times of life, is when you see somebody that needs a ride and you can give it to them, or you see somebody that needs a meal and say, come on, I'll buy you. You, you, can, you can do that for folks. Please don't think that's what I'm talking about this morning. No, impulse is more self-centered. Father, give me what a state falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. Very unusual for a Middle Eastern father. Most Middle Eastern fathers would have said, <laughs> You leave here, you leave everything, and you're dead to the family. That was the Middle Eastern culture. Jesus tells this story in part to tell you of the extravagance and the absolute unthinkable extreme of the grace of God. Because this would be almost an impossible situation to happen in the Middle Eastern culture. Okay? Not many days later... The young son gathered everything together and went on to a journey in a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. The word loose, I think, is very good here. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. Now, think of this. When you act on impulse, it's usually because you think, well, if everything goes the way it is right now, I can handle this. But nothing ever goes the way it does right now. A severe famine arose. Something unforeseen happened. And he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. You know how humiliating this would have been for a Jewish boy. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired men have more than, than enough bread? And I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now we'll stop right there, because I want to talk about that first level of impulses. Let's talk about those thoughts that just come into your mind, and and you don't know where they come from, but all of a sudden you see yourself doing something that embarrasses you, or that you wish you hadn't, or that you try to figure out how in the world did that happen afterwards. Um, It is... What in the Bible is analogous in Ephesians 6 to the fiery darts. This is partly what's meant by the fiery darts that Satan sends. There are thoughts that occur that are really not usual, but they they occur to us. And I'll tell you in a little bit uh, just how to handle those, because you handle those with the shield of faith, which is a different way of thinking altogether. But let let me just go right now and tell you, we have a whole culture that is being schooled to act on impulse. You know the motto of our culture right now has been set in three words by an athletic shoe company. 
What is that motto? Just do it. Just do it. We watch the most famous celebrities, the people we look up to the most, say, just do it. And we are systematically being trained to act on our impulses. How many of you are trying to lose weight, you're driving down the street, you haven't got enough money half the time, and all of a sudden, you see a drive through And you're going, <laughs> And you got a frozen stickers from Whopper stuck in your mouth. And you're driving out going, How did that happen? What just happened there? How many of you, going someplace, going past the store, just say, I wonder if they got any blouses in... <laughs> And you're standing in front of a sale rack. By the way, this is how we justify it. I got it on sale. <laughs> Think of how much money I saved. We're even sick enough to try to figure out how to spend the money we saved. How many, how many of us have this thing <clears throat> where we're going to be kind to everybody, just generally kind, but somebody says something to tick us off and boom, we lay them out. And we say, oh, where'd that come from? I didn't mean that. I was driving down the road the other day, 436. Becky's with me. We're driving down. Now, I'm not a, 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 a hard-line driver. I don't get all excited on the road. But there was this old guy that just decided he was going to tr- cross six lanes of traffic, <laughs> rush hour, and he just walks across. He's going like this. <laughs> Just doing that. Got right in front of me, and I had this impulse to teach this guy a lesson. <laughs> and I went, ah. Becky looked at her and said, What was that all about? I said, Oh, I don't know. I just wanted to teach him a lesson. <laughs> she said, Oh, great lesson. I bet that really taught him. <laughs> the expression on his face never changed. Even when I was talking, he was going, You know? No, I didn't do anything. I acted on an impulse. And then I got all ashamed. That's not me. That's who I, why did I do that? See? You know what I think? I, what I call this, this is going to gross you out, but I call this emotional or financial incontinence. <laughs> think about it. We leak. We go. We do. You know those, those commercials on depend, it Depends on the TV? We ought to buy some of those and wrap them around our wallets. They leak. You know? That we say the same stuff to ourselves that, that they say, Oh, I didn't mean to do that. You know? Oh, I hate it when that happens. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. See? We just, we just kind of leak when we're going through life. Now, I'm not talking about getting control here. I'm talking about being productive. I'm talking about doing the kinds of things you want to do. I'm talking about not being vulnerable to those stupid impulses that we have. You know what Scripture describes us as? When we act on impulse, it, it's in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. And it says this, Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. We're embarrassed because we don't do the things that we know we want to do. And anybody can come in at any time and push our buttons. Because we have no control over our spirit. No, those of us in Proverbs 19.2 
who would want to get on the other side of this have a way. And the way is to just say, whoa. Okay, sorry, my apologies to Nancy Reagan, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to improve, I think, for our purposes on her motto. It's not about saying no, it's about saying whoa. I'm not going to react, I'm going to think this through. I am going to get to the other side of this issue and decide what this costs me in very real terms and then decide whether or not I want to pay it. You see, if the prodigal son was operating on this level, he did not think through where his resources would come from when he had run out of money. It says he just ran out in a very few days, he went in a far country, and the next thing we hear is squandered all his money. Now how fast did that happen? Real fast. He acted on an impulse, and he didn't think through what will happen if. Is this really what I want? What will I be throwing away? Just say, whoa. And start thinking, transfer your thinking from the thought of appetite to the field of faith. God, help me to see this in terms of whether or not this is really what I want to do. Help me to think this through. In, in Proverbs 19.2 it says this, It is not good for a person to be without knowledge. How do you get knowledge? You think it through. He who makes haste with his feet... Take this, Nike. He who makes haste with his feet, errors, is just that simple. If we are to run our lives on impulse, we will continually err. We will continually be distracted from that which we wanted to bring out of life. Life should not come to us and decide what it's going to give us at our weakest moments. We need to look at life and decide, this is for the glory of the Lord. What am I going to get? How am I going to act? Who am I going to be? Samuel said this as he was speaking to the Israelites. <clears throat> he knew their tendency as he knows our tendency. And he said, you must not turn aside, for then you will go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver because they're futile. They cannot profit or deliver because they're futile. 1 Samuel 12, 21. That's how we spend more of a portion of our lives than we would like to do it. More of a portion of our time than we would like to have spent. Take our hearts, Lord. Prone to wonder. Wonder from the God I love. That's what impulse does. Just say, whoa, when you get those thoughts. And say, is this really what I want to do? Take control of your thinking. Secondly, there is a, a possibility that the prodigal son didn't just think of this all of a sudden, although the second child may be more likely to say, ooh, man, maybe I'll do this. It may be a possibility, though, that this was a familiar hunger. The hunger to run away and just live any way he wanted to live. This was a familiar hunger to the prodigal son. There is that possibility. You know what that's like, don't you? There are some things that come upon you that are not a part of your best character that are seasonal. And they seem so strong while you have a hunger 
for them. Some of them are appetite. Sometimes you can just die for sweets, and not just one sweet, all the sweets. We, uh, when we were having our first baby, um, we were in one of those uh, how to have a baby classes. And you get close in those classes because everybody looks the same. The husbands all look bewildered and the wives all look big. And this one couple that we had made friends with came in and she was just so distraught one night. Oh, she just looked like she lost her best friend. Looked like her dog died. She came in teary-eyed. We said, what's up? She said, I just got horrible news from the doctor. We said, oh, no. We're thinking, cancer, baby dead, you know. What? She looked at us and she said, he told me that until I have this baby, I can't eat any more chocolate. (laughs) We said, what? She said, I know. Then she looked at us and said something I will never forget as long as I live. She looked at us and perfectly seriously said this. What I want to know is, if you can't eat chocolate, why live? (laughs) You know what? In the 25th chapter of Genesis, there's another representation of that thought. Starting in the 19th verse, I'm sorry, the 29th verse... Jacob has just cooked a stew. And Esau, firstborn, but secondborn mentality, Esau comes in. Esau was a man of great hunger, a man of great... He was a man of the field. He comes in. And the Bible says from the field, and he was famished. He was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, verse 30, Please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there. Now, in Hebrew, it's hilarious to read this because he's so excited that he can't even name the stuff. He says, the that, the that, the red. That's all he can get out. Give me some of the that, the that, the red. Now, Jacob knows he's not in control. Because Jacob says, okay, some of your birthright. Now, this is the right of primogenitor. He has two-thirds. He's in control. He, it's a huge deal. Oh, you want to support some of your birthright? Impulse. And what does Esau say? Listen to this. He says, gives that same kind of illogical extreme. Behold, I'm about to die. He wasn't about to die. He was hungry for crying out loud. Behold, I'm about to die. So of what use then is a birthright to me? And he sold it to him. Thus he despised his birthright. How many of us argue ourselves into rationalization of these seasonal impulses because we say, look, if you can't do this, why live? If I can't eat anything I want, why live? If I can't smoke what I want, why live? If I can't drink the drugs I want, why live? If I can't have sex anytime I want, why live? Listen. 
There's lots of other reasons. There really is. You know what? When you're thinking like that, you're caught up into a season of appetite that will pass. It really will. Think about this for a while. Men, when you lust, you don't lust the same all the time. There are seasons of lust, aren't there? And if you just tough it out, don't just think, is this really what I want to do? Because you're going to come up with the answer, no, but the lust lasts longer than the answer. See, if it's a momentary impulse, the answer can last longer than the impulse. If it's a seasonal impulse, the impulse lasts longer than the answer. So you need something else. You need another level. And I'll tell you what that is in just a minute. But here's what you need to do. You need to know it's a, it's a character thing. It's not just a matter of your thinking. It's, a, it's not just a matter of faith thought. It's a character thing. Women, there are seasons when you are angry. There are not just incidences, but there are seasons when you would like to take someone's head off. And at any given excuse, you will do just that. Now, I'm not exclusively tying this to the hormones of the month. Although I did see a wonderful bumper sticker the other day that said, PMS, harness the energy. I love that. I love that. But I'm saying... I can't believe I say this stuff in church. <laughs> but I am saying that there are seasons of anger, seasons of lust, seasons of hungers that if you outlast them, they will abate. And you can't think during that time because you will rationalize on the basis of, look, I'm looking at life clearly right now. This is the correct way to look at life when it's not. You're looking at in the midst of a seasonal impulse. So what do you do? Well, the answer is in 2 Peter 1, 5, and 6. It's a matter of diligence. It's a matter of character. It's a matter of realizing somewhere along the line, wait a minute, this isn't me. You know, there was a time in my life, I have a number of personal illustrations in this because this is a sermon for me. I hope you can just overhear it and get something out of it, but if you can't, I'm preaching this to me, which I usually do. I came this far at one time in my life from making a mistake that would have ruined my life. Now, it was an impulse thing. And, and by ruin my life, I don't mean that God can't redeem any, any sin, but I'm talking in my mind. And I heard myself say something that literally sounded like a foreign voice. You know why? Because it was a foreign voice. It wasn't me. It wasn't who I was. When it says in the story of the prodigal son, and he came to himself, he's been acting out of a character that wasn't his character. When you go through these seasonal temptations, if you gut it out long enough, you'll realize that's not who you are. Your character is much more than that. And so it says, 
Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence, gut it out, in your faith, faith thinking, also supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. Keep thinking it through. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. We'll get to love part in just a second. But I want to tell you, it's totally appropriate to wait out temptations and impulses. They will pass. You will be able to see the world more accurately after they do. Third, there is the kind of impulse that we have that are so powerful and so ingrained that we live false lives in order to manipulate our environment so that we can relapse into them. What if the prodigal son had been so rebellious for such a long time that he finally got his dad to say something that in his mind made him run away? That's not unusual in that culture or in this culture. One more time with this and I'm just going to have to do this. You know, the reason that a lot of marriages end is by impulse. One of these kinds of impulses. And one of those is a slow, building sense of rebellious independence just so that you can answer a fantasy you've had for a long time, and it's a setup. The dad could have been set up in this story. The family could have been set up in this story. You can be set up in relationships. It's not about you. It's about an impulse that's been abiding there for a long period of time. W.C. Fields used to say, I keep whiskey handy in case I run into a snake, which I also keep handy. (laughs) That's how some of us operate our lives. We have our favorite impulses. And we manipulate the circumstances in order to have an excuse to relapse into them. It is very important that you understand the cure for this because the first two kinds of cure won't cure this. It is not good enough if you have a strong impulse to think it through, a habitual impulse, an addictive impulse to think it through and say, do I really want to do this? You already know the answer to that. And the answer is no. If you're thinking your best thoughts, you don't but you avoid thinking your best thoughts. Nor is it good enough just to tough it out because this is not a seasonal thing. This is an increasing, indwelling kind of hunger or appetite that is set to go off at any given time. How can you stand or withstand that kind of temptation. And you can. Because 1 Corinthians 13 is very plain. 
about God giving you what you need to withstand any temptation and to give you a means of escape that you may be able to endure it. How? Take a look at the prodigal son. There's a sense in which he could have thought it through and avoided living with pigs. There's another sense in which if that appetite was seasonal and he ended up serving his enemies. There's a wonderful scripture in Deuteronomy 28:48 that says, because you have not taken your fulfillment in me, I will make you servants of your enemies. And that's exactly what a good Jewish boy would have felt like serving pigs. These are things I hate. I'm serving them. And that's what we are like when we succumb to seasonal impulses. We are serving those impulses. But there's another level altogether. And this level, you can tough it out for as long as you want, but you usually don't have that kind of energy or that kind of sanctification because you're doing it on the wrong basis. You're doing it on the basis of, is this what's good for my life? You could look at that and say, well, he came to himself, and because that wasn't his character, he persevered and did what was necessary to get back to his father. But there's another way you can take this scripture, and that is this. What if that young man sat in the midst of those pigs and was as hungry and as desperate and as frustrated with himself as we imagine he was? But he didn't just think of himself. He thought of his father. And he wanted to be with his father more than he wanted to be with the pigs. What if he missed the kind of closeness that can only come when you clean up your act because that's the kind of closeness the father deserves? What about the kind of closeness that can only come out of a personal relationship that says, you know, God, if it were up to me, I could go on living like that and still function in my life. I could go on doing this and still have a lousy character because I don't think that much of myself anyhow. But I don't want to dishonor you anymore. And I don't want to do what hurts you anymore. Do you know the things that you'll give up because you love someone else more than you love yourself? The things you won't do because you wouldn't want to embarrass your kid or you wouldn't want to hurt your spouse or you wouldn't want to dishonor your God. That's the only motivation strong enough to come out of that kind of addiction. Let me tell you a story and I'll quit. Again, it's a personal one. Because I lived this. I was a closet smoker for years. Now, some of you will say, come on, Hunter, closet smoker. Get a, get a good one. Get a big sin here. Well, you know what? To me, addiction is addiction. And some of you are saying, you smoked? See ya. It was a problem for me. I mean, I began when I was in college, and I went through seminary smoking. Now, this is in a denomination that makes you swear to abstinence. So here I am in my closet. I'm even in the closet from my wife. 
who I still to this day think she knew all along I was smoking, but didn't touch it because it wasn't her gig, it was God's gig. Because smokers are funny. By the way, please, I'm not hopping on you smokers because I realize smokers have it tougher today than they've ever had in their life. They are the only group that is politically correct for everybody to hop on. So, listen, this is just happens to be a personal story. Hope you can quit, but I'm not joining the bandwagon here. This is just one of the things that all of us deal with, one kind of addiction. So here I am, smoking. Smokers think that nobody else can smell it if they just pop a mint into their mouth, when really non-smokers can smell it 200 yards away. And Becky either knew I was smoking or thought I was doing pool room evangelism, one of the two. I don't know what it was. But up to my first church, I was still, and it's, it's horrible to be a closet anything, you know? I mean, it's, it's, you know, you go down the street, I was down, going down the street on the way to church, you know, and you're smoking, you bend down, you're smoking down here, and you got the window partially open, you know, and you flick out the ash, and they blow back and burn your shirt. Gotta come up with stuff like, oh, the toaster went off and got me. You know, you just gotta come up with stupid stuff. So here I am, and I had quit 200 times. I probably gave more cigarettes to road bums who would come along and find four packs of cigarettes minus one than anybody else in Ohio and Indiana. I mean, I had, every time I bought, oh, I hate this. I threw it out and driving and buy another pack. So here I am, hooked, quit, felt guilty, hated it, so on and so forth. Here I am in the first church that I have as the solo pastor. And I'm standing out soon after we got there. It's the middle of the night. I needed a cigarette, you know. I was so tense, you know. You, you get to, a lot of responsibility here. Oh, hope it don't blow. I think I need a cigarette. Snuck out. Of course, you always have a cigarette hid somewhere. Snuck out. Standing at the back of the house in between the church and the parsonage. <laughs> Isn't this awful? I'm ashamed. <laughs> I am. It's so awful. They're only about three feet apart. I'm standing on there, hiding the ash, the glow in the dark. <sighs> of course, the second puff, you go, I hate this. <laughs> Somebody had left the lights in the sanctuary on. And I <sighs> looked around, looked right at a stained glass window with that light coming through. And it was so... In remembrance that I was in the presence of God, He was so close to me, and I said, I've been doing this on the wrong gig here. I can probably get away with smoking for the rest of my life. It's not a matter of salvation. I knew my, my theology well enough to know that. I can probably operate on the church and have this one secret area for the rest of my life. But God, you deserve better than that. I refuse to do anything that will dishonor you. It's the last cigarette I ever had in my life. The basis for pulling out of that tremendous kind of impulse is to love someone, not something, someone more. And the one who can help you 
is the God who loves you more than you love Him. One more scripture and then I'll pray. And this is, listen to a mess of song. Psalm 91, verse 14 and 15. I love this. This is God talking. He says, Because He has loved me, therefore I will deliver Him. I will set Him securely on high, because He has known my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. And I will rescue him and honor him. Love is the thing that brings you through the fire. Pray with me. God, this is not a message about moralism. It's a message about living the life that gives us the character and the peace and the power that you meant for us to have. God, there may be some people in here today who have just wanted to come back to you and they, they don't know how. Help them to lay all of their guilt and all of their immorality down. Just simply to say, God, I don't want to live apart from you any longer. I want to come home. You're my Father. I realize there's nothing I can do to make up for what I've done, but I do accept the sacrifice of Christ and the forgiveness that comes through Him. Come, Lord. Live in my heart and be with me. And because I love you, deliver me. All of us pray that, Lord God, so that we can glory in Your glory. And we can be glad to live for the glory of the Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.